Listen now to God's word as I read from Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty firmament. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the lute and harp. Praise him with the timbrel and dance. Praise him with string instruments and flutes. Praise him with loud cymbals. Praise him with clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We are approaching the end of a year-long series of sermons that I've titled Learning to Love the Psalms. Throughout the year, we've looked at a variety of different types of psalms, psalms that are seemingly pure praise, or psalms that express our prayers to the Lord, or others that remember, that look back and see God's goodness to us in the past, or psalms that have an instructional aspect to them, they're teaching, psalms that have confession built into them or appeals to help. Those are just a few of the psalms or the different types that we have examined. In each of them, it's been my purpose to draw your attention to the special place that the psalms hold in the history of redemption, in the grand story or narrative of redemption. The psalms hold a very important part of that as they look to the Redeemer that God has provided. In the Old Testament, it was in anticipation, and we have the opportunity on this side of Jesus Christ to sing these words of our Redeemer, knowing of, the, of Christ who is represented, who appears, who speaks, or who is the foundation of that redemption. Because of that, I've chosen Psalm 150 to be our psalm of the month and to be the doxology that we sing throughout this year, wanting to have in mind that that redemption that moves us to say, as Psalm 150 does, praise the Lord. And it is also, as you as you know, this is the last psalm of the of the book of Psalms. It's a fitting climax or a fitting period to the entirety of the book of Psalms as it leads us to say hallelujah, which is, uh, uh, which is another way of saying praise the Lord. For that matter, the psalm says praise the Lord more than 13 times in one form or another in just six verses. Praise the Lord. And it elaborates on that simple explanation by speaking to these two questions, the why and the how of our worship and praise. So let's begin with why. Why do we worship God? Well, I'm going to give you three reasons from Psalm 150, because of who God is, because he is our creator, and because he is our redeemer. These come in the first two verses where it describes these aspects. I've noted this before, that the Psalms are, uh, are especially focused on who God is and what he has done for us. 
And you see that in verse 2 that there is an expression of, of recognizing and praising God for his excellent greatness, which is a, a, a summary or poetic way of just saying meditate on who God is and what he is like. Just because he is God, he is deserving of our praise. But the Psalms add to that. They add to that the majestic beauty of what God has done in his work of creation. So verse 1 says, praise him in his mighty firmament. So we can think of the creation and all of the created order as being reflective of God's uh, mighty power to create all things. And the rest of the scripture resonates with that, doesn't it? And it says in Romans 1 that from the very beginning that the creation shows forth the eternal power of God so that his invisible attributes are made known so that we as his creatures are without excuse. We ought to be able to see how great God is and to worship him for that. And then we can add to that that, that John 1 identifies Jesus as the agent of that creation. Well, the whole Trinity is involved in that, but John 1 says that all things were made by him. And there was nothing that exists that wasn't made by Christ. Because of these things, we praise the Lord. We also praise him because of redemption. We praise him for who he is, his, his being a creator, and also because of redemption. I want to focus on this, because the rest of the psalm is going to elaborate. Redemption comes out in the language of corporate worship in this passage. Praise him in his sanctuary, which has in mind the drawing together of God's people by the invitation of the Lord to come into the presence of a holy God to bow before him and to give him worship. Then in verses 3 and following, there's something of a description of that worship in the forms of worship that are in the context of the Old Testament. So this psalm has in mind the great privilege of coming into the presence of a holy God to worship him. And it's that aspect that I want to, as I said, I want to really meditate on today and draw out in the rest of the message today. I want to begin still under this point of worshiping God as our Redeemer. I want you to think of, of the context of Psalm 150. And then we'll lift that to, to see how it connects with that greater story of redemption. So worship of the Lord is something that is very important, isn't it? I read from Hebrews 8 and 9 for a specific purpose. I wanted you to, to hear from the, from the context of the, of the New Testament how the Old Testament worship had a special place. Worship always has a special place, but... Uh, it's described as, as Moses going up on Mount Sinai and receiving from the Lord what he saw there. Well, what was it he saw there? Well, he saw the, the heavenly throne room. He saw where, where God dwells in, in glory almighty and the worship that takes place there. 
And that's pictured in other places, Isaiah chapter 6 and the book of Revelation. John the Apostle has visions of this heavenly throne room of God and the worship of the saints that takes place there. Well, to Moses, God gave a vision of that and then he instructed them, instructed Moses to bring that worship down to the children of Israel through types and shadows that would represent that heavenly worship. And what happened in that worship in the Old Testament? Well, several several things come to mind. But central to all of that is the sacrifices that were necessary to cleanse sinners. Sacrifices that were necessary for for mankind to who is redeemed by God, to come into his presence. And it's the Lord who opens the way through the blood of the sacrifices. So you might remember that the people of God would come to the tabernacle and come to the temple, and they would bring their animals for sacrifice there. And the priests would take those animals and would would sacrifice them. It would kill them and burn them on an altar of burnt offerings. And those sacrifices were symbolic of the penalty for sin that we all deserve. But it also represented the fact that it's not us who are being put to death. The Lord provides a substitute. And in the Old Testament, by these types and shadows, the Lord was telling them, that there was forgiveness of sin by the shedding of blood. But it wasn't the blood of the animals that accomplished forgiveness, was it? It is only by the blood of the Redeemer, Jesus Christ, that we have forgiveness. And the animal sacrifices were pointing forward to the coming of Jesus. And so worship uh, proclaims your sins are forgiven by the Redeemer. And in the Old Testament context, there was an anticipation of that Redeemer that would come. And the repeated sacrifices gave a sense of longing for, for, the, uh, for the accomplishment of the redemption that was promised. Well, we live in a New Testament era. We live in the fullness of God's revelation. We live in the context of the fulfillment of, of prophecy and fulfillment of the anticipation that comes through in the Old Testament. We hear those words of John the Baptist, and we know that when he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, that that's Jesus. That he's pointing out the Son of God who became man to die on the cross for our sins. And we know that there is glory that is due to him. As I I read, as our call to worship Glory to the Lamb. He is deserving of power and, uh, and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory because of who he is and what he has done. We give glory to him who is our great and perfect high priest. The one whom uh, the book of Hebrews says has gone before us, has passed through the heavens, who has, ha- has entered then behind the veil into that heavenly throne room where 
where the reality of worship exists for all times. And there Jesus lives. He lives to make intercession for us and to draw us into that heavenly throne room. One commentator puts it this way, that whenever the church assembles, wherever believing hearts are lifted to God, we ourselves enter with boldness into the holiest and the heavenly sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, which has consecrated for us a new and living way to God. But just think again of the way the book of Hebrews helps us to understand this. Jesus is the forerunner who has entered the presence behind the veil. He is the one that gives us liberty to come to him because we have obtained mercy because of his sacrifice for us. We receive grace to help in time of need because Jesus is there always interceding for us. And in our worship, we place our confidence in this great high priest who has passed through the heavens, the one who offered up himself as that perfect sacrifice that makes it so we may draw near to God. So why do we worship? Well, because God is worthy. He is God and is great and excellent just because of who he is. We worship him because he is the creator of all things. Let the, her, let the firmament praise him. And we worship him because he redeems us. This provides really a, a fitting climax to this book of praise and a, a fitting reason to worship God. And that's why, why I say that the Psalms are, are stand right in, in the center of our, of our, of, of our Bible, right? And right in the center of this narrative of what God is doing to bring salvation to sinners. And there's this pinnacle of praise. Praise the Lord for who he is, for what he has done in creating and what he has done in redemption. Now, the rest of the psalm continues to express this main thought. Praise the Lord. And it does so by calling on us as the people of God to rejoice with what I'll say, with all the worship that is given to us. To praise the Lord with all the worship that is given to us. And it provides us to uh, uh, an opportunity to ask and answer a question about how we worship, which if you're following along in the notes, this is point two, and it will also lead to ask and answer the third question. Why don't we today use musical instruments? I'll come to that in a, in a moment. So how do we worship? Well, remember that God has given worship as a blessing to the church. God has given it to us so that we might, we might honor him. And that's what worship is about. We are here to 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 be in the presence of, of God Almighty. And uh, there's the, the physical gathering that is here, but there is a more significant gathering that takes place each week as we, as we are here. 
because we are gathered in heaven itself in the presence of God Almighty by the Spirit's drawing and by the, by the Son's sacrifice. And we celebrate that God has promised to cover all of our sins and to draw us into his holy presence. Now, as I pointed out in the Old Testament, this promised Redeemer had not yet been born. The church still anticipated the coming of the Messiah, that he would complete that work of redemption. And so in that Old Testament setting, God gave certain types and shadows that pointed forward to Jesus. They pointed forward to the perfect sacrifice that he would make. It pointed forward to the fact that he is the, the culmination of the high priest because he is God himself. And so included in these types and shadows were, uh, were the priesthood and the sacrifices. Included in them are the, uh, uh, are the priestly robes, the, uh, the altars of incense and sacrifice, and in this context, the part of the types and shadows are the instruments as well. This meant that the Old Testament people of God, uh, uh, as they came to worship the Lord, that their worship had an element of, of mediation through the types and shadows that anticipated the reality of the coming of Jesus Christ. By that I mean, uh, look back at the Old Testament worship. When the people of God came to the tabernacle and to the temple, they, they never went in to those courts and especially never went into the Holy of Holies. You should remember that there was only one person once a year that would, in, would enter that holy place. And that was the high priest. As we read in Hebrews, the high priest first had to sacrifice for his own sins. He was merely a man as well and a sinner and needed his own cleansing. He would sacrifice for himself and then make sacrifice for the sins of the children of Israel. Entering into that holy place and sprinkling the blood of the sacrifice on the mercy seat where the glory of God was revealed. And where were the people of God? They were outside praying. They were worshiping God, but in a sense that worship was mediated by the priests who interceded on behalf of the people. They were worshiping, and that worship was mediated by the sacrifices by the incense that was burning inside of the tabernacle and temple, by the music and the choir, again, inside of that temple worship. You might think of an example of this as well. As we uh, have come through a Christmas season, think of the example of Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist. He was chosen to perform this ceremony, this aspect while the people waited outside in prayer. What was this all about? Well, again, by types and shadows, by ceremonies and signs, Old Testament worship 
showed men and women why they could worship. Because God, who is holy, had provided the way that that we could come into his presence. For Old Testament believers, they looked forward to the Lamb of God. They looked forward to Jesus Christ. And worship proclaimed, your sins are forgiven through the Redeemer to come. But worship for us proclaims the same thing, doesn't it? It proclaims that your sins are forgiven through the Redeemer who has come, through the Redeemer, Jesus Christ. And you may come into the presence of this great and glorious God because of what Jesus has done for you. Psalm 150 still invites you to rejoice with all of the worship that is given to you. Because God has given us the worship, has given us access to him, to come to him and worship. And that access in the New Testament, I would say, has a greater clarity and a greater directness. Which leads to that other question that the psalm provides us an opportunity to think about. Why don't we use musical instruments in our worship today? If the Old Testament worship did, shouldn't we do so also? Isn't that what the Psalm 150 says? Praise him with the trumpet sound. Praise him with the harp and lyre, with the the cymbals. Praise the Lord. The answer lies in that priestly work of Jesus that has been accomplished, and it's been finished. And it celebrates what I've come to like to call the glory of of immediate worship rather than mediated worship, where in the Old Testament, priests and ceremonies mediated those the, the Old Testament worship. The New Testament worship has a simplicity that is profound. It is profound because of the accomplishment of all of the things that were anticipated and not yet accomplished. The most obvious example of that is that the Old Testament sacrifices were made over and over and over and over again. Because Jesus had not come yet. There was this longing and anticipation for that to take place. And by those ceremonies and signs, what Hebrews calls types and shadows, there was a signifying of what Jesus would do in reality. And finally, so that now our worship is only through Christ, not through the types and shadows, not mediated by those other things, but it is, in a sense, immediate. We are in the immediate presence of the Lord as we worship him, because Christ has gone before us and he draws us into the Holy of Holies. As as great and glorious as, as we find our local gatherings, I want you to remember that since 
Christ has come, that our worship is, is, is in the heavenly realm and in that holy of holies. And once again, the book of Hebrews calls attention to this. In chapter 12, it says that you have not come to the mountain that, uh, that may be touched and that burned with fire and to blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of the trumpet and the voice of words so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore or they could not endure what was commanded and if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. You remember that? That's as the children of Israel came out of, of Egypt and they came to Mount Sinai and the Lord showed his presence there. And it was a terrifying presence. And Hebrews says, we have not come to that mountain, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. We have come to Mount, Mount Zion, not Mount Sinai, to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to his blood of sprinkling. Our worship is here, yes, but because of Christ, our worship is actually in the throne room of God in heaven. And we can look at awe at the Old Testament worship, and we often do. We, we look back at that, and we may marvel at, uh, at the symbols and signs that were full of, of glorious things. There was gold and precious stones and incense and holy oil and choirs and instruments and of course, that, that bloody, bloody sacrifice. And the grandeur of that can sometimes take our breath away. But those things were designed to find their fulfillment in Christ. And so I would urge you that you be sure not to miss the greater glory of New Testament worship where the priests and the ceremonies mediated Old Testament worship, the New Testament church celebrates the glory of immediate worship through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Sherman Isabel, uh, one commentator, says about this, that the simplicity of the New Testament forms of worship, the absence of outward pomp and ascetic exhibition, speaks volumes. It speaks volumes. It tells, he says, of the complete reality of our entrance into the holiest of all in heaven. We're no longer playing with models, but have come to the new Jerusalem itself. One reformer has compared it to the uh, different types of lights. He says, uh, 
compare the light of a candle to the light of the sun. At night, when it's dark, the light of the candle shines brightly. But when the sun rises, you no longer need the candle's light. In comparison, the candlelight from the worship of God ordained in the Old Testament, while true and real, uh, it anticipated and pointed forward to the true light of the world. Hebrews goes so far as to call it a shadow of the good things to come that was fading and passing away. And so the New Testament church worships in the perfect light of Christ. This is worship in the presence of God. And the types and shadows which we believe include those musical instruments are, are things that had a place that pointed forward to Jesus. Now that Jesus has done, we in simplicity and with that profound acknowledgement of the accomplishment of redemption can come into the heavenly throne room of God himself. And so our worship expresses, as Psalm 150 says, hallelujah to our God. Praise the Lord who is our creator. Hallelujah to our redeemer. Christ himself has brought us into the glorious presence of the Most High. To him be honor and power and glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this really profound truth that you have given to us, that our sins are forgiven in Jesus Christ. And we honor you today, knowing that by Jesus, that we come into your presence, that we are here covered by, uh, by the righteous robes of Jesus Christ, having our sins forgiven and, and washed clean by your Spirit. And we ask, O oh God, that... That throughout our lives, that you would motivate us to praise the Lord, to sing hallelujah for the redemption that is accomplished by Jesus, our Savior. To him be glory forever. Amen. Be using that uh, B selection of Psalm 150 throughout this month, and then we'll also sing it as our doxology. We'll sing the first stanza after the benediction. Let's stand and sing Psalm 150b.